If uh, you don't have the Sabbath School Quarterly or the Sabbath School Bible Study Guide, go to our website um, and click on the CSH banner and you'll be able to download the actual lesson study uh, right there off of our website. And uh, please let us know where you're uh, watching from. We'd love to read uh, your letters and let us uh, to tell us wh- how you've been enjoying uh, the programs that you've been watching and how you've been blessed by them. And so uh, we're uh, launching right into our second lesson uh, for the New Quarters study on biblical missionaries. Hope you've got your Bibles open and uh, you've got your lesson studies uh, as well available. We're going to be talking about the first great or the first missionary. And uh, his name is Abraham. That's right. Abraham is the great missionary or that first missionary. Last week's lesson, we talked about and looked at uh, how God's heart is a missionary heart. And the only reason and the need for mission is to uh, salvage and save that which is lost, to find that which is lost. And so God's heart of love reached out, sent His Son, came, lived, suffered and died, rose again so that you and I might be saved. And so um, let's, we're going to track throughout this quarter the different missionaries that the Scriptures highlight and uh, hopefully we can learn a few things uh, as we navigate our way through these stories and enjoy them. Uh, this morning, of course, we're talking about Abraham. And let's, let's take a look at our memory text. It's Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. And it says, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham, and the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in all the nations shall be, in you all the nations shall be blessed. We may be, as some of you may be familiar with the British explorer Sir Francis Drake, who sailed from England in December of 1577 with six ships and 164 sailors, What was Sir Francis Drake's mission? His mission was simply to be the first Englishman to circumnavigate the entire globe. And uh, three years later, with just one ship and 59 surviving sailors, he limped into Plymouth Harbor. While ultimately successful in his mission and their mission, Sir Francis and his men had endured a litany of horrors. They had endured storms, they had endured shipwrecks, Uh, attacks by hostile peoples, and uh, they also endured starvation. When you go on a mission, it's not always easy. It's not always easy. In fact, it's often very difficult, as was the case with Sir Francis Drake. Um, When we think about great men of old, for example, like Enoch and Noah, and uh, whom God had called on a mission for him. Now, they didn't go as missionaries per se and leave the area where they were living, um, but they were on a mission for God. Enoch, we're told in Jude, uh, proclaimed and preached the return of Christ. And Noah, of course, we know what his message was, repent and get on the boat. A storm, a flood is coming. And uh, certainly it wouldn't have been easy for them. All we need to do is go to Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 and we rec- the Bible records that the thoughts and intents of the people's hearts was evil continually. And we know only eight people got on Noah's ark 
And so we know that his mission was successful in saving eight, but not, in, not successful in saving all. He endured difficulties and trials and challenges also. And um, it wouldn't have been easy, but these individuals were faithful in their responsibility. What's a true missionary? What's a missionary? Uh, the dictionary defines a missionary as a person on a religious mission to a foreign country. That's what missionary means. And, and it's interesting, the dictionary highlights the endeavors of Christianity uh, in particular. And so a missionary is a person sent on a religious mission to a foreign country. The uh, Manila Adventist Medical Center Church Choir is on a mission this summer. Uh, you're here visiting and uh, traveling around and sharing the gospel and song and be singing over at the General Conference coming up here uh, very shortly. God bless you guys. Going on a mission, leaving what you're used to and what you're familiar with to share the gospel in foreign lands. And the first true missionary, because he left his homeland at the request of God, was Abraham, the first recorded missionary. Through that first call to leave his native home, God had promised that through him a knowledge of salvation, justification by faith, would come to all nations, and Abraham was to witness to those of another land about the true God. So God had sent Abraham on a mission and uh, to share the good news of salvation. So we're going to go over to Monday, or Sunday's lesson rather, let's go to Genesis chapter 12 in our Bibles. Genesis chapter 12, let's take a look here at the story of Abraham. Actually, the story of Abraham begins in Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. We normally pick it up in chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, where God uh, asks Abraham to leave his home country and to, um, and to uh, through Abraham, God would bless him as he would be a blessing to the nations. But Abraham is first mentioned in, in uh, Genesis chapter 11, and you can read the story in verses 26 to 32. And uh, in Genesis 11, 26 to 32, Abraham is introduced to us for the first time as Abram. He doesn't get a name change until Genesis 17 and verse 5. Abraham's original name was Abram. And Abram means father of elevation or exalted father. That's what Abram means, which was a name that pointed to his honored position as an ancestor of Shem. And Shem was a part of that unbroken line of faithful men, starting with Adam and his son Seth, and then of course we move to uh, Enoch and Methuselah and Noah, etc. And, um, and so these men served God, and through that lineage of Seth, we come to the story of Abram. And so just turn with me to chapter 12, if you're there, we'll look at verses 1 through 3, let's read these uh, words together. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I'll curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be what? Blessed. What a wonderful promise that was. God said, okay, you need to leave, and, uh, and I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a blessing to the nations, you see. And so, Abraham grew up in the Ur of the Chaldees, or the Ur of the Chaldees. And uh, that is, of course, in Iraq, what we know as Iraq today. And uh, Ur, or Ur, was uh, northeast of the Persian Gulf. If you just run up from the Persian Gulf and go a little bit northeast, you'd run into Ur of the Chaldees. 
and it was a hotbed of superstition and heathenism. Sadly, Abraham's own family had succumbed to the surrounding culture by serving other gods. And you can read that in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 2, where writing there in that book, uh, Abraham's family is said to have left and served other gods. So in order to preserve the truth about himself, God called Abram or Abraham, along with his household, out of Mesopotamia. When you, read the, uh, when you read here in chapter 11, the last part of chapter 11, and you get to chapter 12, you be- and you read verse 4, it seems as though God had called Abram, uh, Abraham out of Haran. That's where this call, this uh, message from God came to Abraham from. But in fact, he was first called from Mesopotamia. And um, here's just a couple of references if you wanted to make a note, Genesis 15, 7, Nehemiah 9, 7, and then if you go to the book of Acts, chapter 7, verses 2 and 3, uh, God came to Abraham and, and said similar words to what we find in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and uh, called him out of Mesopotamia. And so he left Mesopotamia with his household, and then... Um, in their journey with the family, they traveled f- about 500 plus miles northeast from Ur, uh, out of Ur, to, uh, to Haran. And, uh, and there, sadly, Abraham's father, Terah, passed away. And so, they're in Mesopotamia, in Ur, and God calls Abraham out, his, he and his family. They travel to Haran, about 500 miles northeast, and in Haran, Abraham's father Terah dies, and he dies not having made it to the promised land. They were all on the way to the promised land. That's what was going on here. But even more serious, even more serious was the fact that Abraham's brother Nahor and his family decided not to continue the journey. When God came to Abraham the second time, which is recorded in Genesis 12, and told him to get up out of this place and leave Haran and go to a place that I will show you. It's a sad testament but Nahor decided to not claim the promise of God, not journey to the promised land, and, uh, and so Abraham left his brother and his family behind. It was under these conditions, under these circumstances, that Abraham obeyed the call of God. Someone has for me here this morning Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 10. Okay, Richard's got that. We'll get a mic. Do you got a mic there, Richard? We'll get it to you in just a moment, and uh, we'll come right over to you. So turn with, turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10, and as we're uh, just about getting ready to get over there, just want to just draw our attention to that fact again. Can you imagine? God said, Abraham, leave, come out, leave your family, come and travel, and come with, I want to take you to a land that I want to show you. I'm going to take you to the promised land, a place that'll be a ble- where you'll be a blessing to others. And on the way, Abraham's father dies. And then, when he's getting ready to leave, Nahor decides not to come, not to follow. Is it possible that some are on the journey today, on the way to the promised land, and then they drop off halfway through the journey? Is it possible that some folk who started out so well, journeying toward the promised land, might not end up making it? There are certain things that arise that prevent people from continuing on. Maybe the hardship of the journey that Nahor considered, maybe he enjoyed it in Haran and said, this is the best place I'm going to find. You can keep on going, Abraham. Is it possible that some people have the same attitude toward heaven and eternity and they start out so well but drop off on the way? 
It's a sad testament, but these are the conditions that Abraham obeyed the call of God. Let's read Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. Thanks, Richard. Hebrews 11, 8 to 10. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should, after, receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing where he went. By faith he traveled in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Thank you very much. What was so remarkable about Abraham's decision to obey the call of God? What was it so remarkable about it? I, I jotted down some notes, and here, here's what I put down. There are six things here, and, and maybe we could have made eight or ten of them, but I kind of summarized a couple of them. First of all, where was his father buried? His father was buried in Haran, and God called him from there. And so God called Abraham from the burial place of his father. Now, I know people, I know individuals, and you may know them too, and you might be one of those, where it's, it would be very difficult for you to pick up because you know your family members are buried in a certain cemetery at a certain town close to you. And to leave and to move far away from that would be a challenge. And yet Abraham was called and he obeyed and left the burial place of his father behind. I'm just kind of, we're looking at some of the, how extraordinary this call, this, the decision to leave really was for Abraham. Second note I made, he left his brother and his family behind. And, you know, I've, t I've run into individuals and I've talked to individuals, uh, inviting them to make a decision to follow Jesus, and they say, you know what, I will, but I'm waiting for my husband to make that decision. I'm waiting for my wife to make that decision. I'm waiting for my brother or sisters to make that decision. But Abraham said, no, God has called me, I'm going to go. And so even though his brother was left behind, Abraham decided to go. It was a difficult decision, but Abraham still left and trusted his brother and his family to God's good graces. And, uh, and sometimes we've got to do the same thing. Thirdly, he left all that was familiar behind. He left all that was familiar behind. Now, how easy is, is it to leave everything that's familiar behind? <laughs> yeah, leaving the house, the neighborhood, the, the family, the friends, everything that's familiar. You know, you get in your car and it's, automatic, it's on automatic pilot, right? You know how to get around. You don't have to think about where you're going to go. Uh, the... Uh, uh, Individuals travel. They, uh, it's hard to, hard to leave what's familiar behind. Schools and teachers and bosses, and maybe some bosses are not so hard to leave behind, but work colleagues. We think about all those things that people left behind. Fourthly, he was called to sever ties with his past. In, in essence, Abraham was called to burn bridges, wasn't he? He was called to burn bridges. Fifth, he was called to an itinerant life. He could have enjoyed where he was quite nicely, twin, the twin rivers, uh, fertile land, but instead he was called to a, a mountainous, heavily wooded region. That's where God called him to. It wasn't going to be easy. If he was going to set up shop, he'd have to take down some trees. He'd have to build on the side of hills and mountains or go down into the valley either way. And then sixth, he was called to accept God's impossible plan for him. He was called to accept God's impossible plan for him. In Patriarchs and Prophets, page 126, Ellen White says the happiest place on earth, just considering all that Abraham left behind, the happiest place on earth for Abraham was the place where God would have him be. 
And you know what? It's not only the happiest place to be, it's the safest place to be. It's the best place to be. The word of God, it's interesting, the word of God came to Abraham first as a command. I don't know if you picked this up, but it first came to Abraham as a command, and then it continued as a promise, and then it concluded with a, what? A blessing. Continued with a, or concluded with a blessing. These three aspects characterize every manifestation God makes to man. A command, a promise, and a blessing. The promises of God are fulfilled, and the blessings are received only when we obey God's command. That's right. And this is, a, this is a foundational principle. I don't want to get off, uh, off on, a, on a tangent here, but this is a foundational principle to help us understand um, in the New Testament where certain promises are made to spiritual Israel because uh, ancient Israel did not uh, meet the conditions of the promises and the blessings. And so now God has taken those blessings and those promises and has given them to spiritual, spiritual Israel, those who have received Christ. They are the children of Abraham. So in these first few verses, we find a foundational principle to help us understand when we read about Israel in the New Testament, especially in the book of Revelation. God's promises and blessings are only for those who obey God's commands. So it's very, uh, very important to consider that. Anyway, back on topic. I'm going to read here from uh, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 126. Many are still tested as was Abraham. They do not hear the voice of God speaking directly from the heavens, but he calls them by the teachings of his word and the events of his providence. A question has come in from Brenda in Arizona, one of our live stream members, uh, and she asked the question, how do we know for sure that a calling in our life is from God? Well, here I'm going to read the answer for you, Brenda, and for those who've ever asked the same question. It says here, they may not hear the voice of God speaking directly from the heavens, although it'd be nice if that were the case, right? God writes it in the sky right there for you and I. The voice doesn't, uh, may not come directly from the heavens, but he calls them by the teachings of his word and also the events of his providence. And so if we want to know God's will, we're going to be keen and alert and, 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 and uh, awake to his leading. We study his word to figure out what his best is. We pray. We certainly get counsel from other godly individuals to ascertain whether this might be the best decision or not. Would God be leading? And then we look for those doors of providential leading, seeing whether God is leading in that particular area or not. As a, as a minister, as a pastor, we often get relocated and we get moved around and often we have to, Jen and I have to lay it all before the Lord and say, is this from you? Is this a call that's from you directly? Or is this just a call from somebody who just likes us and wants us to be where we're going uh, or where they are rather? We have to say, God, what is your will? And so we pray, and so we read his word, and so we counsel with others, and we talk together, and we look for God's providential leadings. And so I hope, Brenda, that answer uh, is, is helpful to you. Study God's word and look for his providential leadings. I'm going to continue reading. They may be required, and thank you for sending in that question. We appreciate it. They may be required to abandon a career that promises wealth and honor, to leave congenial and profitable associations, and separate, separate from kindred, to enter upon what appears to be only a, part, a path of self-denial, hardship, and sacrifice. God has a work for them to do, but a life of ease and the influence of friends and kindred would hinder the development of the very traits essential for its accomplishment. He calls them away from human influences and aid and leads them to feel the need of his help and to depend upon him alone that he may reveal himself to them. Who is ready, she asks the questions, who is ready at the call of providence to renounce cherished plans and familiar associations? Who will accept new duties and enter untried fields, doing God's work with firm and willing heart, for Christ's sake, counting his losses gain? He, uh, he who will do this has the faith of 
Abraham and will share with him that far more exceeding eternal weight of glory with which the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. Are you, are you willing to go? Are you ready to go? It may not be some foreign mission land. It may be just even in the home that God has called you to serve. And we'll talk about Abraham as a missionary to his home first shortly. But these are, these are challenging questions, aren't they? Are we ready to go? Leave what's familiar behind. Follow God's leading for our lives. That may appear to be um, hard and difficult and where we'd have to sacrifice from time to time. Remember how difficult it was when I was 19, leaving home, leaving Australia. God had called me to ministry. And I believed he was calling me to a college in, uh, in Rapidan, Virginia. And uh, so I went and how difficult it really was to leave my family behind. And, uh, and yet, uh, when you follow God's will and his plan, you know that that's the best thing, the, the happiest place, the best place you could possibly, possibly be, right in the middle of God's uh, will. Let's go to Monday's lesson. Let's talk about Abraham's testimony to the kings. Abraham's testimony to the kings. Traveling with Abraham, you remember, was his nephew Lot. And uh, that was Haran's son. Haran had passed away some time before. And after a time in Egypt, due to a famine in Canaan, Abraham made his way back to the promised land. Um, someone has Genesis chapter 14, verses 14 to 16. Okay, Diana has that right here. Thank you so much. We're going to come to you in just a moment. And so, not long afterwards, uh, when he arrived back in the promised land, conflict ar arose between the herdsmen of Abraham, we know the story well, between the herdsmen of Abraham and the herdsmen of Lot, because the land could not support both of them and their, and their herds. Now, Abraham, not taking his eyes off of his mission, quickly sought to rectify the situation immediately by inviting Lot to decide on a place he and his family could settle. So Lot, he chose the well-watered plain of Jordan, but this brought him into contact, of course, with the sorry inhabitants of Sodom. During that time, a war had broken out with, uh, between surrounding cities, and Lot was taken captive. When Abraham heard about uh, this, he headed a military force of about 318 men to rescue his nephew. And ultimately, the Bible says, Abraham came out on top when, uh, and he was able to return Lot to his home. Let's read Genesis chapter 14, verses 16 through 18. We're going to ans answer the question, what do Abraham's actions about his character and his faith and his God, what does this say about Abraham, his character, his faith and his God? We're going to look at lo a little bit more at this story in a bit. But uh, thanks, Diane, if you could read Genesis 14, 14 to 16. Genesis 14, 14 to 16. Now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Dam 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 Damascus. So he bought back all the goods and also bought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. Thank you very much. Excellent job. And, uh, and so Abraham, what did he decide to do? He went out after his, his nephew Lot, took his 318 men, and he brought back Lot safely. Now, Abraham is supposed to be a man of faith and of grace. It's interesting, in the book Patriarchs and Prophets, page 134, 
the, com the divine com commentary, the inspired commentary says, the worshippers of Jehovah had not only rendered a great service to the country, talking about Abraham and his family, but had proved himself a man of valor. Now notice in this action what it did uh, regarding the surrounding nation and their view regarding Abraham. It was seen that righteousness is not cowardice and that Abraham's religion made him courageous in maintaining the right and defending the oppressed. His heroic act gave him a widespread influence among the surrounding nations. In fact, it was uh, because of this action that he went into certain agreement with some of the area cities where they would help and protect one another from, uh, from outside invaders. Now, let's go over to uh, verses 17 to 24, and let's continue reading here the story. And the king of Sodom, this is after he rescued Lot, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shiva. That is the king's valley. After his return from the defeat of Shadalaomer and the kings who were with him, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of God Most High, and, the blessed, and blessed him and said, Blessed be Abra Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And he gave him a tithe of all. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich, except only that what the young men have eaten and the portion of the men who went with me, Anur, Eshol, and Mamre, let them take their portion. Very interesting. So on his way back, on his way back, the king of Sodom, back to his home city, uh, on his way back, the king of Sodom, his name was Berah, along with Melchizedek, came out to honor Abram because of his act of valor. He encouraged him to take the goods, but begged to leave the prisoners behind. Now, it was, it was very common back then for uh, the victor, the conqueror, to take the spoils of war, but Abraham did not undertake the expedition for gain, only with the intent to do what? To right a wrong. That was his intention. So he returned everything under the condition that Bera would share the spoils with his confederates. In Patriarchs and Prophets, page 135, the inspired commentary says, he would give them no occasion to think that he had engaged in warfare for the sake of gain or to attribute his pros uh, prosperity to their gifts or favors. God had promised to bless Abraham and to him the glory should be ascribed. And so Abraham, even in this action, revealed himself to be a man of faith and a man of God, trusting in God to provide. He didn't want any, any false rumors spreading uh, about, uh, not necessarily about himself, but his, his God, you see. He didn't want anything to uh, hinder people's perception of God. Why, did, why was Abraham traveling through that region anyway? What was the reason? He was on a mission to share salvation and to share the good news that came from God. Let's go to Tuesday's lesson. Let's look at Abraham as an exemplar of faith. Let's go over to Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll read verses 8 through 19. Several verses together. Hebrews 11, <clears throat> verses 8 through 19. Abraham is known as the father of the faithful. As a matter of fact, he is known as the father of three major world religions, Christianity, 
uh, Judaism and, and uh, Islam. Abraham is known as the father of the faithful. He is listed in the hall of faith here in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read verses 8 through 19 again. Let's take a look at how, uh, how heaven extols Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland." And that truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now we're coming to the last few verses. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in, Isaac's, in Isaac, your seed shall be called concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he has also received, uh, he also received him in a figurative sense. Now you just take that in, let that soak in, and you realize the tremendous decision that Abraham made in answering the call of God and all that he left behind, and how, by God's grace, he exhibited a faith, a faith that is left for us as an example to follow as well. What did Abraham's faith do? If you want to know what, what faith does, Abraham's faith obeyed, according to the verses we read. Abraham's faith obeyed. Abraham's faith patiently sojourned a foreign land. Faith believed he would have a son at an old age. Faith left the past behind. Faith hoped in a heavenly city. And faith claimed the promise that God could raise the dead. Don't you want to have a faith like that? I want to have a faith like that. That was Abraham's faith. God sent him out and he obeyed and he sojourned and he, he had hope and he looked to his maker and his God and he trusted that even if he had to lay down the life of his own son, God would raise his son back to life again. It's incredible faith. But when we read the story of Abraham, we realize that Abraham's faith wasn't always impeccable. And this is what the question is related to. Dan, you have a question. Genesis 15, 6, Romans 4, 3, Galatians 3, 6, and James 2, 23. All these verses refers to us the statement, Abraham believed God and was counted as righteousness. How could it be then that the Abraham, one of the greatest men of God, did not believe God will give him a son at an older age? He listened to his wife's advice to, give a, to have a child with her servant. God forgave him and a few years later made a covenant with him. But did he ask for forgiveness? Okay. So there are a couple of questions there. Number one, in, in marrying, or not marrying, but in having a child with Hagar, 
did he in fact exhibit, was he exhibiting faith? Did he have faith? No, he wasn't. He wasn't. Did he, in that one act, doesn't mean that he wasn't exhibiting faith elsewhere? No, he was exhibiting faith elsewhere, wasn't he? He may have questioned at times and struggled and, and had, a, had a difficult time, but we need, to keep in member, we need to keep in mind, rather, and remember that this particular one act that uh, where you know, certainly Abraham and faith, uh, Abraham and Sarah struggled, their faith struggled. We need to remember this. This was one, one of the of the few acts and instances that were of consequence, where Abraham's constant faith in God, uh, answering the promise that you you and Sarah will have a child, it was one instance where his faith, um, his constant faith wavered, and this was the one that had consequence. Now, keep in mind as well that. Uh, that uh, notwithstanding all the promises that came from God in these verses between Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter uh, 18 and 19, that this was 10 years after, 10 years after God had made the promise to Abraham and Sarah that they would have a child. So we need to keep the context in mind. Abraham for 10 years had strong faith, believing, as a matter of fact, when you go to back to uh, chapter 15 verse 6, uh, the Bible says that God counted it to him for righteousness because he believed. He believed uh, with all of his heart, you see. But then his faith wavered. It had been a long time. And so uh, he took Hagar, Sarah's handmaid, as a, uh, to have a child with. Is it possible that faith may be genuine? Faith may be genuine, but can prove to be weak in moments of stress and difficulty. It's very possible, isn't it? And we need to keep that in mind. Having weak faith is no more equivalent to having no faith than having small muscles is equivalent to having no muscles. And sometimes God just allows tests and trials to come so that our muscle of faith might be exercised and our faith might what? Grow. As a matter of fact, go over with me to Romans chapter 4. Uh, Paul, uh, this is, Romans 4 is a powerful chapter and I don't have time to really get into all of it, but I want you to notice what he says here about Abraham and, uh, and the faith that Abraham exhibited. It's true. He had sincere faith, and it is true that he wavered at times. It's true that this one instance among a few was, was of consequence, where his faith, constant faith, faith gave way. It is true. But notice the, what God says about Abraham's faith. Romans chapter 4 and verses 19 through 22. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. You see that? What was Abraham's faith like? It was strong. Was it strong at the very beginning? Uh, not initially. And God had to keep encouraging him. And as a matter of fact, he changed his name from Abram to Abraham. From being exalted father to a father of a multitude. Look, I'm going to change your name. In your name, every time someone calls you, hey, Abraham, Father Abraham, you're going to be reminded of my promise. So God promised, promised uh, the child. God made these promises. And Abraham had to hold on by faith. And yes, he wavered at times. There's no doubt about that. And yet the Bible records that his faith was strong. It ended up becoming strong, just like that muscle that you exercise, you see. There is a second question uh, that you ask, and that is, um, it's, it seems as though God had forgiven him. He established a covenant with him, truly. Uh, but did Abraham ask for forgiveness? The answer is, it's very likely he did. In order to be forgiven, one must ask for 
forgiveness. That's right. As a matter of fact, look with me in Romans chapter 4, and it's still in the context of God counting Abraham righteous because he believed. Notice, uh, Romans chapter 4, we'll read verses uh, 3 and on. It says, For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So now follow on, verse 6. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness. So God imputed righteousness to Abraham because he what? He believed, right? And it's similar to what David says when God imputes righteousness apart from works. Apart from works. Look at verse 7. Blessed are those whose laws, lawful deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall impute, shall not rather impute sin. So certainly God forgave Abraham. If we compare that with 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Conditional to forgiveness is asking for forgiveness in the confession of sin. So yes, yes, likely Abraham asked for forgiveness. Yes, good questions. Thank you, Dean. Appreciate that. Let's go over to Wednesday's lesson. Abraham certainly is our example of faith. Not necessarily in those times and moments where he wavered and fell short, but uh, where he exhibited strong faith. But having said that, we can take great courage in knowing that despite Abraham's struggles with doubt and disbelief in God's power, because it's true, twice he showed cowardice and told Sarah, uh, told Sarah to tell a half-truth, and once he laughed when he was told that he was going to have a, a son with Sarah, it's true, God was still able to use Abraham to bring to the heathen a knowledge of the true God, and that was because Abraham was still willing, still willing to be molded and shaped by God's providence and his will for Abraham, you see. So in his travels from Ur to, uh, from Ur, Ur to Hebron, his final resting place, Abraham visited at least 15 different geographical uh, areas and locations. We're talking about Abraham the wanderer. He wasn't just meandering around without a purpose, he was on a what? He was on a mission. Uh, so if we look at Genesis 12, uh, we, we, it talks about how he initially came into the promised land and he came through the very populated area of Canaan. And there, where he set his tent up, he had built an altar to the worship of the true God. Now these altars, I mean, he just didn't make an altar. It was a sacrifice that was offered at the altar and Abraham was happy to uh, reveal and express his faith in the true God by offering uh, sacrifices in accordance with God's plan on that altar. Uh, there were sacrifices that took place all around that region, but they weren't to the true God. Abraham was offering uh, uh, sacrifices to the true God, the creator, the sustainer of the universe. So wherever Abraham pitched his tent, he would erect an altar to the worship of the true God. And so not only did Abraham's life testify of God's goodness and who God was and, the, and the, who the God of the universe was, but also he, Abraham left behind these testaments or testimonies of, uh, of faith and, uh, and of worship of the true God. That's in Genesis chapter 12 verses 6 through 9 and then in Genesis chapter 13 verses 8, uh, 18 verses 14 through 20, um, leaving Bethel and Ai, Abraham travels to Hebron and there he builds a second altar and it's there that he rescues his nephew, Lot. And then over in Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 and then 20 through 33, the Lord appears to Abraham and, uh, and intercedes for, and Abraham intercedes for the people of Sodom. You remember that story in Genesis chapter 18. And then 
the, the, probably the most difficult journey that Abraham would ever have to make was the journey found in Genesis chapter 22 to, the, to Mount Moriah. What, was, what happened on Mount Moriah? What did God call Abraham to do on top of that mountain? Sacrifice his own son. But you know, as he was bringing that knife down on his son, the angel stayed the hand of Abraham. And God said, now I know that you will obey obey me and follow me and do all that I ask you to do. And you remember, God provided a ram in the thicket. You remember that? God provided a substitute for Abraham. And Jesus, talking about Abraham, said, Abraham saw my day. Abraham saw my day. In that substitution, that ram in place of his son, Abraham saw the promised Messiah and that he would come as a substitute, a substitute for you and for me and die in our place. Abraham saw my day, Jesus said and was glad. This, uh, Abraham traveled. What was the reason? God desired, what was the reason Abraham was traveling? God desired that many in the region would become acquainted with himself through the faithfulness of Abraham. And this meant that Abraham needed to keep on moving. He would live an itinerant life. So everywhere Abraham went, he was supposed to be a blessing, you see. And then the second reason, traveling was possibly a means to educate Abraham in, a, in several different areas. In one area, to desire a better country. If you're always on the move, living in tents, no established place, not getting comfortable, you're going to desire a better place. Isn't that right? You're going to have a desire for a, a much better place. And so maybe it was to educate, continue to educate Abraham's heart and mind to desire a better country, not necessarily the one that he was traversing and traveling through. Second, maybe uh, God was educating Abraham to lean implicitly on the Lord. Traveling does that, you know. If you've ever traveled and you've moved around a little bit, you, you tend to lean more on, on the Lord. When I left home at 19, I mean, I, many, I mean, I spent a lot of time on my knees. I mean, my, my uh, pant legs, where the knees are, got worn quicker than any other parts of my pants. Uh, you, just lean, you just learn to lean on the Lord. You, you're going where He's calling. You're not sure how it's all going to work out, but you know that God knows. And you know that God's going to work it out, and you just follow His call. Maybe the third reason... Uh, the third area God was possibly trying to educate Abraham was in the area of being open-hearted and generous. If you've ever traveled and you learn to acquaint and you become acquainted with different cultures and customs and peoples and the way people see things, you learn to be more generous and patient and flexible and, uh, and open-hearted. And all of these things are very likely the reason why God had Abraham on the move, to teach him these things as well. Not only to be a witness, but to teach him and to educate him and to prepare him for his eternal home. The question is, are we willing to leave our comfort zones? That's the question. Uh, the, leaving the comfort zone doesn't mean that you, God might ask you to travel outside the country, outside this state, or even outside this city. But it may mean that you, he might ask you to do something that isn't typically what you would normally do. Are you willing to leave your comfort zone? Thursday's lesson, Abraham, a missionary in his own house. We read Genesis 18. Let's go back there. Genesis 18. How effective would Abraham's witness have been if his household had lacked order and genuine Christian courtesy and love? How effective would it have been if he was professing one thing and even in his home it was a complete and utter shambles? Genesis chapter 18, verses 18 and 19. Notice what it says. Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, 
that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham that he has spoken to him. Wouldn't it be wonderful to, to know that God looks at you and me and says, I know you and I know you'll command your household after me. How can we have a well-ordered home like Abraham did? In these couple of minutes, I want to read to you from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 142. There are three lessons we can learn from Abraham, what he did in his family, in his home, that can help us have that well-ordered home as well, if that is needed at this time. Notice, this is page 142. Abraham's affection for his children and his household led him to guard their religious faith, to impart to them a knowledge of the divine statutes as the most precious legacy he could transmit to them and through them to the world. All were taught that they were under the rule of the God of heaven. There were to be no oppression, there was to be no oppression on the part of the parents and no disobedience on the part of the children. God's law had appointed to each his duties and only in obedience it could only could any secure happiness or prosperity. So what did Abraham do? Number one, he, he ordered his house. He guarded their religious faith, you see. He imparted to them a knowledge of the divine statutes that they would be able to pass on as a legacy to their children and to others. They were taught that they were under the rule of the God of heaven. And so Abraham guarded the faith. He taught and trained his children, his fam not just his children, but also his family, you see. Second of all, I'm continuing to read, his own example the silent influence of his daily life was a constant lesson. The unswerving integrity, the benevolence and unselfish courtesy which had won the admiration of kings were displayed in the home. There was a fragrance about the life, a nobility and loveliness of character which revealed to all that he was connected with heaven. He did not neglect the soul of the humblest servant. In his household there was not one law for the master and another for the servant, a royal way for the rich and another for the poor. All were treated with justice and compassion as inheritors with him of the grace of life. And so it was through his own life, his own example, that Abraham uh, passed on this legacy to his family and produced a well-ordered family. And then thirdly, she goes on to say, he will command his household. There would be no sinful neglect to restrain the evil propensities of his children, no weak, unwise, indulgent favoritism, no yielding of his conviction of duty to the claims of mistaken affection, Abraham would, not give right in, Abraham would not only give right instruction, but he would maintain the authority of just and righteous laws. And so Abraham worked very hard with his family in restraining those evil propensities, you see. And uh, he didn't yield uh, to unwise favoritism or indulging his children. And, uh, and so, as a result, we have this testimony on page 144, a well-ordered Christian household is a powerful argument in favour of the reality of Christian religion. We can say a lot, but then we've got to look at the home and ask God to do that special work in our home as well. And that well-ordered well home will speak favorably on behalf of Christianity. Well, we started out the lesson by talking about Sir Francis Drake and his terrible journey. Interesting, the words of a prayer which are usually attributed to Sir Francis Drake seem especially relevant to our study this morning. It says, disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little, when we arrive safely because we sailed too close to the shore. When Abraham sent out or set out from Ur, he was beginning a journey that would take him far from his shore. And so the question for you and for me this morning is, are we willing to sail far from the shore for God? 
May God help us to venture, to do and to dare for his name's sake. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.